So uh, we took a journey. I took a journey and I was gone. Uh, I went to Florida. I actually drove to Florida with McAllen. So here we are, 34 hours in the car. And I'm sure all of you have had some time to sit for a while and ponder. Good because time in the car, captive audience, both of us there, that, that was super good. And it was a very uneventful trip other than losing two stud bolts in Mitchell, South Dakota, by the way, and a guy named Bruce. Yeah, I knew. Corn capital of the world, or there's, yep, got it, yeah. <laughs> and so other than that, we made it just fine. It was really, really neat to just have some time to spend it and to see the whole United States from, uh, from this perspective down, in, down here. And so... Uh, that was a really great time to be away, and, but I'm glad to come back because we drove into Sheridan. I was just like, oh, this is home. This is home. So we live in a great place. Um, today we are looking again at Psalm 119. This is the longest chapter in the book of the Bible. It's actually kind of smack dab in the middle of your Bible as well. Psalms happens to be. And uh, it is all about one particular thing. And if you've been following along with this, you'll know that. 119 is all about what? God's word, I heard it. So God's word is talking about God's word. Does that make sense? 119 is describing how wonderful, awesome, how it is, it is the cat's meow. It really is a description of itself in terms of its value and what it, what it presents to us and how unique it is. Um, and one of the things that we look at today in, in verses 105 through 120 is that we have this picture of God's word and it is his light. And as we sang that second song about talking about light, we realize that when you're in the dark and as you get older, you're going you're gonna to find this out if you're kind of young. Like reading in the dark is not like it was when you were younger. You could kind of futz through anything. Uh, the packaging gets the writing in the back of packages in the store or anything else gets smaller. And without light, that becomes very difficult to actually discern and guide your way through things. So as we look at this chapter, recognize that light is so important. And without it, we can do very, very, very few things. So we start out with uh, just this psalm. And so I'm going to read through, let's see right here, 105 and 106. It says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much, preserved my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. So that's the very first uh, set of eight verses under none. And it is all about this God's word and how it's a light to us and how it's, a, it's this directing uh, thing that allows our lives to have some, some uh, purpose. And so as we look at Psalm 119, 105, and we look at those, the verses that kind of come along with this, recognize that, that in John 1, 1, and this is a really important uh, and important verse for lots of different reasons, but it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John, the youngest of the apostles, wrote this, and he said, in the beginning, and when he, and he refers to the beginning, what is he talking about? What is he saying? 
creation, in, in the beginning. And so if you roll back to Genesis 1 and you compare that with John 1, 1, you'd look at that and you, wow, there are some things going on here that are actually correlative. And so what he's saying is, is this word was with God. And when you read the word, the, the, uh, the word W-O-R-D, word, you normally would think of it as the Bible, right? But is it talking about the Bible here? Is it specifically saying that? No. It's talking about who? And the answer is always, if you don't know, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus was with God in the beginning. The Word was with God. And so he goes on to say, the Word was with God and the Word was God. This is one of the most clearest verses of Christ's deity that there is. So if you're talking to someone who doesn't believe that the Bible really talks that Jesus is God, that he's just a great teacher, he fed a lot of people and had lots of social programs, you would say, eh, that's not really true because this is what this says. And then if you connect this uh, later on, you'll see that we connect this with Jesus and the fact that he was actively involved in creation. Colossians 1 says nothing was made without him. And when he was in the beginning with God, what do you think he was a part of doing in the beginning during creation? Christ was there, and the Holy Spirit, of course, hovered, hovers. And so we see this triune God, even though it doesn't use the word Trinity, right here. John 8, 12 says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus himself says that he's the light of life. And God's word says that his word is what? What does the very first word say? very first verse say, your word is a lamp for my feet. Jesus is the light of the world, and his word is the lamp to my feet. And there is a definite connection here. The word logos, in 1 John, uh, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word logos, and there's this creative power. Logos is a creative power. It is God's essence. It is talking about Jesus, but it's talking about him in a very powerful way. And so when you are reading God's word, what this is saying is this. The best way to follow Jesus is to follow his word. Because Jesus is the light of the word, the light of the, the, the world, and the lamp. The word is a lamp to our feet. And we just recognize that being a Christian without reading our Bible is, is almost impossible. Because the word and Jesus are so directly connected. And so people will say, I just don't know what, uh, what I should do with this. Or, I don't know this decision, that decision. And Jesus says, if you are a follower of me, this is, this is the essence of how I communicate with you. Through this word and through other believers who are also reading his word, we are given guidance. It's a pathway for us. It's a, it's a lit pathway for us to get guidance in the different things that we run into throughout our life. And Ephesians 4 says, therefore I... As a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So we are to walk in the light, and walking looks very specific, and the Bible actually kind of teaches us, what does it mean to walk? Well, the first thing in Ephesians 4 says, to walk worthy. Well, to walk worthy is this. If you're a Christian, as you read his word, it's going to affect your life, and you're going to be a Bible to someone. You're going to be a living, walking Bible to someone else. They're going to watch you. And as you walk worthy, they're going to be attracted to the person who you follow. And so we just see this, this, the truth is that we need to walk worthy because as we spend time with him, we are a reflection of his word. 
It says, those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. I can tell you that from this verse alone that I have done, I have uh, presided over funerals for believers and for non-believers. And those who walk uprightly, meaning that they have a relationship with Christ and his, his righteousness is imputed in their, in their spiritual bank account, that funeral looks completely different than someone who has not walked uprightly, who does not know Christ, doesn't have a personal relationship, and their sins are, are just unpaid for. And you realize, wow, it is so important how we walk whether it's uprightly, whether it's the idea that we are a living Bible that other people read. 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light, there's that light picture again, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And again, we are walking daily following his word. Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is, it, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? How are we to walk? Here it is to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And so there's this perspective that we also are to walk in a way that Jesus walked. And how did he walk? Well, he didn't, he didn't have to stay on the cross, did he? He could have taken everybody out. But what did he do? Humbly accepted what's the cup that he talks about. Take this cup from me in the garden. He humbly accepted that cup knowing that we're going to be persecuted. There's some things that we're going to have to do humbly because of who we belong to and what we hope in. And it's not just this here and now. Well, 106, I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. And here's this legal term of oath. And Ben would know about this, is that there's an oath that's taken. You may put your hand in the Bible even in that situation. Uh, but we recognize that that oath is very serious. And the psalmist is like, I am, I am, I am affirming that I'm going to do this. And so as we look at this uh, psalmist, as he says that he is desiring to follow God's word, it's so important for us to take that uh, seriously. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full, uh, full of grace and truth. And when we see this, we recognize that Jesus has come. He, be, he, he, was, he was come in the flesh, but he was God who was incarnate. And as he came to us, we have this sense of, of just reverence. And when we take an oath to follow him, we recognize that we're following the creator of the world and that Jesus was the focal point of the Old Testament. We normally think of the Old Testament as a bunch of stories about how mean God is and how, how he's a wrathful God. The whole Old Testament is actually pointing towards, it's a constant theme, it's a, it's a pointing towards this Redeemer who would come. And so to separate those things is just not correct because we see those things unveiled in the New Testament that were veiled in the Old Testament. 107, I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. If I had you raise your hands if you've suffered in this life, every one of you would raise your hands. Sometimes you suffer justly. Sometimes you suffer unjustly. You didn't deserve it. What the psalmist is saying through here, here is, I have been through affliction uh, affected by things in this world. And according to your word, Lord, that you would preserve me, that you would cause a personal revival to come out of those things. And maybe you had that experience before. You've gone through a very difficult time, and God has brought you through that. He has held your hand through that period of time. And out the other end, 
you realize that you actually have a closer relationship with them. You've really had almost a revival in your own life because of the affliction that you went through. And it's analogous, again, to going, you know, getting into the gym, and it's painful to, and you know, you have a coach that's yelling at you, and I need 10 more of those or 50 more blood runs of these. But what it does in the end is actually makes us closer and stronger in a relationship with the Lord. And that's what the psalmist is saying. I have suffered much, but can you, Lord, please, out of this affliction, cause my relationship with you to grow closer? Can you pray that today? Because some of you are going through something that's very, very big. Can you actually pray, Lord, through this affliction, if, if anything, that you would bring goodness out of it by bringing me closer to you through that affliction that is maybe not something just or unjust, but just there. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Can you imagine coming to church, and I'm not saying you can't do this, but can you imagine coming to church where there was no, you could not sing, we could not have worship together. We kind of sat down. It would kind of look more like a classroom, actually, is what it would look like. And what a different experience it would be if you could not worship at church with, with fellow believers. How would that change your relationship with the Lord? How would that change your experience on the Lord's day? Well, we're not going to try it, okay? So <laughs> we're not, because... Music is such an important thing, but worship in music, and we can worship in the Word, and we can worship in the music, and they're usually inter intertwined, but it is so important for our relationship with the Lord. It is so important, and this is what the psalmist says, that his willing praises of his mouth, and that he would teach his laws to him, that the, that the time of, of worship a lot of times warms our heart, as Ben prayed today, that our hearts would be soft to his Word. That when you read his words, one thing would stick today, and you'd just be like, oh, that's what I needed to hear today. And so worship makes us more receptive to his word. Though I constantly take my life in my, in my hands, I will not forget your law. Can anyone say amen? Do you ever take your life into your own hands, making your own decisions, not just like speeding through Main Street at 60. Do you ever just kind of just go, I'm just going to do this thing, and I'm, you know what, I'm just, even though I, I probably know I shouldn't, I even asked the Lord. Even though I take, so you see this almost, almost having a confession time with the Lord, and he's like, even though I've taken my life in my own hands, and I didn't ask you first whether I should do this or that, oh Lord, please protect me and redirect me onto to your law. And so as we see this, we recognize it's so important for us to to, to draw from those, uh, from those things that we have in life, a constant reliance on him for us to have his direction. Job 12.10 says, In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Do you know that your day is already known? And I mean your day, my day. My day is already known. And I may have a, a few more breaths, or I may have many, many, many days of breaths. But that's how in control God is. And yet at the same time, when we don't ask him, what, what should I do in this situation or that situation? It's just silly. It's foolishness because he is sovereign over our lives and directs us the way he wants us to go. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Okay, what are you snared by? What are you tempted by? Are you trapped? 
And then, have you ever strayed off the path? And again, everybody says, oh, yes, I have. And the cause was you were tempted. You were drawn to it. It was something shiny. It was a squirrel. It was whatever. And it drew you away from the path. And so one of the neat things about verse 105, the very first verse, is that he is a lamp to our path, is that a lamp is made in such a way, and the picture of this is that that lamp only, it has been said at least, that that lamp only lights up the next step. And then once you get to that step, it lights up the what? The next step after that. But it doesn't light up 15 steps in advance. And so this is perspective is that we can be so easily tempted because is if we take each step, we have to look, God, where do you want me to go now? And we have to be responsive to what he wants us to do. And so every day is like, God, direct me. If you read the book of Acts and you see where Paul went, and I think he had a plan, but as you, as you read it, you realize his plans were changed constantly. What he thought was a man turned out to be a woman. Where he was going to go into Europe, he was redirected. And you realize that that lamp was only there for the next step. And it's constantly redirection. Is that true for you? Do you seek that? Do you, do you realize that, boy, it's so easy to be snared and tempted and trapped and brought into something and pretty soon you're like, man, I just took a, I just took a left curve and I should have just stayed straight. And so the psalmist is saying, boy, that lamp is so important to make those decisions your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Wow. When, someone, when you see someone who, is, who realizes that their heritage, and he recognizes, the psalmist realizes that his heritage, his, what he's working for, what his benefit of what he's looking forward to in the future is actually God's word. Now, let me ask you this because it's really important. There are three things that are eternal. You need to know this. Here's why. Because they're important. If something's only going to last five minutes, how much effort are you going to put into it? Eh, it's here today, gone tomorrow, right? How's your life described in the Bible? You're a vapor, and my life is a vapor. So what is eternal really matters because that lives beyond us. And there are three things. God, God's people, and God's word. And so what he's saying here is, my, it is my heritage forever. God's word will be with us forever. You'll be, re, re, you'll be reading Psalm 119. You'll be seeing Psalm 119 in action. You'll be worshiping him many, many thousands of years from now if you belong to Christ. Isn't that just amazing? Like This is God's book, and we're going to see him in so much fullness. They are my joy, the joy of my heart, that we look forward to his word that way. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Is that true of you? Are you going to go to the finish line? Joe, you're, okay, let's just say you're safely over 55, right? Are you going to go to the finish line with, with God? Absolutely, and we'll be walking with him. He, he, uh, as, as Joe goes to the finish line, he has believers beside him. Do we make that decree that we're going to go to the very end? We're not going to deviate. We're not going to be someone who shows up in churches here for a few months and then nobody sees them again. Just kind of got, again, that lamp is so important every single time because there's so many traps and so many things that can, can take people away. We have to have that eternal perspective there. Samic, which is the next letter. And this is verses one through, uh, 113 through 120. It has to do with God's support and how he is really kind of the backbone of who we are in our lives. It says, I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. 
You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. Sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let, me, do not let my hopes be dashed. Uphold me, and I will be delivered. I will always have regard for your decrees. You reject who stray from your decrees, for their delusions come to nothing. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your statutes. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. As we read this, we recognize that there's this perspective in which God's word is, is what we're based on. And if you were to walk in the very first, uh, the very front door, and you were to walk through the double doors, and you were look, to look up to the right-hand side on the window, which, there's a verse up on the window. Does anyone know what that verse is? You walk by it all the time. But you're not distracted because your lamp is focused on today. But what is the verse up there? Does anyone know what it is? What does it say? Isn't that amazing? It is. Our lives are so busy, isn't it? Aren't they? It talks about someone who builds their house. And it talks about storms. And it talks about foundations. And it's all about God's word. It's about what you build your life on. And if you've ever tried to build a sandcastle by the ocean, you know the result of building something that does not have a good foundation because by the end of the day, as the tides roll in and out, what happens? There's an eraser there. And that's what these are, this, these, this set of verses really talk about. He says, I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. Now, are you a double-minded person? You wouldn't call yourself maybe a double-minded person, but how many times do you kind of go, ah, you vacillate from here to there? And he says, God's word is so powerful because it keeps me locked in. And in my own self, I'm a double-minded person, but God's word allows me to have a pathway and a kind of a secure foundation that keeps me on track. James 1.8 reminds us of this. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Just this perspective that God's word is the stable source in our life. It supports us. It gives us a pathway. It gives us purpose. Because if I was watching a, a video that one of my kids sent me. It was so amazing. It was a discussion between Christians, quote Christians, I'm just going to say that because that's what they said, and there were people on this side of the spectrum and there were people on this side of the spectrum and they were kind of talking about the same topics and seeing people, how they saw things from different perspectives, like, wow, and it was called middle ground. And it was amazing because at one point in time, this uh, two or three people from this side over here said, well, that's Paul. We can't really accept Paul, what he wrote. Okay, so just let the cat out of the bag. I believe that Paul is inspired by God and what he wrote is actually God's words. But there is a perspective in which there are people who are double-minded. I call it double-minded. They, they actually believe that we can pick and choose what, what's true in this book and what isn't. It was amazing. And I realized, wow, 13 books of the Bible, they just chucked just now, the Pauline epistles. And because the reason why they, they check them is because their lifestyle doesn't line up with what? With the word. And so this, this safety net of, of, and this, this lamp, they're giving up this lamp, and it's going to end in 
just a disaster of their lives and just amazing to me that you need to know that, 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 that God's word is being debated out there. If you didn't know that, I'm just going to tell you, hey, God's word is being debated out there. Oh, all the time. That's so important for us to recognize because as you're talking to someone, you need to know what we're talking about right now this summer is so important. It is, you, did, you drill down here and you foundation it because it's the anchor bolts to our life. And if, if we can decide that Paul's letters were not inspired by God, we can decide whichever, whatever other book we want. And Philkin has his set of the Bible, and he might have 66 books, and somebody else might have 42. And then pretty soon we're whittled down to the five that are most, maybe the poetic books, <laughs> because they're maybe just meant for a different purpose. I realize, wow, this is so important. You are my refuge and my shield. And this is why it's important, because when the storms of life, and that verse out here says this, when the storms of life hit your life, what do you rely on for truth? What do you rely on to hold the course? Like, okay, God has promised this. Even though I'm going through difficult times, hold the course, hold the course. Has it ever been attempting, well, let's just say something like this. We were in Florida, and we got this huge rain, probably kind of collateral damage from some of the huge storms that were there, but you couldn't see anything. I mean, I've been in rains here. That was completely, I've never experienced that before. Maybe it's like the worst snowstorm you've ever had. Everyone's had one of those if you've lived here very long. And you can't see anything. And you're usually following what? On the highway. Yeah, the reflectors. You're like, boom, boom. And you can't see anything, but you're trusting that what? That those reflectors, some guy didn't play a trick on you, the highway department, and start plotting them off into the, Right? And so there's this, this refuge and strength. He's, he's a reflector's poles. It's like God's word is just this direct path for us to take. This is through safety. And we're waiting to be able to see, and we will see. But we have to, at some point in time, kind of trust that is going to be the truth. And God will see me through this very difficult time. Boy, he says, Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. The company that you keep will determine your future. And I would say it this way, especially, well, for anyone, show me your friends, and I'll tell you where your future is. And I know some people will not like me saying that, but it has been 99% true. Now, is it true that we are to be in, in the world and involved in other people's lives? Yes. But we are always to be tied into a body of believers who can, who can encourage us and help us through those times, and we, all we can see is reflectors. And we are to be, so we're salt and light to the world, but we also have to have a body of believers that we belong to. And that's us here, and that's in a small group, and that's when we meet on Friday morning or Wednesday night or Wednesday morning, and we're in a men's group, or we, we're whatever, connecting with one another, keeping each other on the rails, keeping us locked into his word. So important, Proverbs 13. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm is to our benefit. God tells us to walk with wise people who are getting godly input, who also have a lamp in front of them. So important, especially in this, in this time. 
Sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. And so he's just asking him to sustain. He's, he's, he's taking hits. He's got a lot of oppression. A lot of people around him are probably calling him a Bible thumper or whatever it is. Or, oh, you're one of those Christians. You're over there on that side. Whatever it is, he's, he's asking God. He's praying that he would actually sustain him and praying for strength that God would do that. And if this is another version of what's, what's written out here, this one is, the one out here is actually a little bit 648, but it's the same thing. It talks about a foundation and that someone would build their life not on sand, but on, on, a, on a rock foundation that is very, very solid. 17, uphold me and I will be delivered. I will always have regard for your decrees, that we will always love his word, that we will always go here as our final authority. Isaiah 41 says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God gives us strength. He allows us, to, he takes us through those. You, you, you see that the poster, the footprints poster, right? Remember that one? You got this, the footprints in the sand. What's the take home? God, you left me. And all there was is just my own little footsteps, right? Wrong. It was he, when you could only see the reflectors, he was carrying you along directing you. And so God's strength is so important for us to recognize that he is our foundation. You reject all who stray from your decrees for their delusions come to nothing. Do you know someone who's delusional? I used to be delusional. I used to think before I came to Christ and even shortly thereafter that certain things were true even though this didn't say that. There were things that I believed that were direct opposition to this. I look back to that, and I'm like, I was such an idiot that I would believe those things and actually tell other people my ideas. That is delusional because you can't tell two years from now what's going to happen. And yet this book is written. I was just sharing this with a, some family that was in town, just about how amazing the book is, that we were going through the book of Isaiah here just on Friday mornings with men's great, great study and one of, the, one of the prophecies, and it's not all about prophecies, but it's one of the prophecies was about this Persian king who would set Israel free and not only set them free, but basically send them with all the building supplies they would need. And it named exactly his name, the Persian king. And Isaiah was written about 300 years before this happened. How did Isaiah know the name of the king of Persia? That would, would, that would be in power. And how did, did Isaiah know that this unique king would actually send them with supplies? And the answer is, you can't see two years from now, but God can see hundreds and thousands of years from now. And you realize, wow, I am delusional to think that I have a better plan than he does. God's word is so, so, so special. There is no other book like it. I, we're going to talk more about that because it's really important because a lot of people, just, they think, yeah, you, what is your holy book? Oh, wow. This is not just a holy book. This is actually the very creator of this world's words, and it is so different when we start stacking those things up about books. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your statutes. How does that make you feel when you read that? I had a feel to this, so I'm asking you the same question. Anyone want to venture any thoughts or feelings about how that made you feel? 
Where the word dross. What is dross? Waste. Through a refining process, it's, it's waste, isn't it? And you realize at some point in time, you know, there is, there is at some point in time, heaven is going to be perfect. And we who, are, who, who have a relationship to Christ and believe in him and that he died on the cross for our sins are going to be this refined metal, gold or valuable thing. And there's going to be dross because some people will not accept. They will not accept. And what it means is this. There will be a separation at some point in time. God is going to give them their wish. You know, sometimes you'll be like, someone was telling me this morning, they dropped off their kids, and you thought the kids would cry because, you know, mom's gone, and, and the kid's like, I can do this by myself, kind of this idea, you know. I'm not getting in the car with mom and her minivan because I don't want to belong. There is a point in time where people would choose, and God will give them their wish, and that they don't want to spend eternity with him. That's what's going to happen. And this verse really hit me. All the wicked of the earth, and what the wicked are is those who just say no to Jesus. That's who the wicked are. Say no to God. Say, I don't, I don't want to live by your word. I don't think it's beneficial for my life, although it certainly is. And then he says, therefore, I love your statutes. I, I recognize that that is where my hope for heaven really is. And then 120, last verse. You guys are kind of waiting for it. My flesh trembles in fear of you. Is a healthy fear of God Good. When my dad used to come in the house, and you could just tell when he came in the house, you didn't hear his voice or anything, it was the tone of the slam of the door. You go, oh, wow, okay. And you could tell the demeanor of him by the slam of the door. It was very clear. I'm not kidding you. Was that bad or good? You, know, you could argue all day long with your psychologist or my psychologist or counselor, but the reality is this a healthy fear of who he really is, a knowledge of who he really is, will just automatically give you a healthy fear of him. When we recognize who, how, who he is and how powerful he is, all of a sudden it's like, whoa. It's kind of like when someone whips out their five black belt things and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, healthy fear here. God has so much love, but yet at the same time there is this healthy fear. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And next week, we're going to kind of pick up where this is, just recognizing that when Jesus taught God's word, the Old Testament, the people were in awe. Think about that. What was he? He was a carpenter. He was a person who had no, no formal education and yet they were in awe just by him reading the word. It'd be like having someone come up here and just read out of the Old Testament, set it down, and they were in awe. Why? Yeah, you're going to have to wait till next week. You're going to have to wait till next week. Meanwhile, here we go. We're almost done. An elderly woman stood on a busy street corner, hesitant to cross because there was no traffic signal. As she waited, a gentleman came up beside her and asked, May I cross over with you? Relieved, she thanked him and took his arm. The path they took was anything but safe. The man seemed to be confused as they dodged traffic and even walked in a zigzag, zigzag pattern across the street. 
She said, you almost killed us. The woman was angry when they reached the curb. You walk like you're blind. He said, I I am blind, the man replied. That's why I asked if I could walk across with you. (laughs) Jesus said to the Pharisees, they are blind guides of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Matthew 15. Who are you following? Do they have the lamp in front of them? Do they spend time in God's word? Are they looking for the next step so that they don't do a zigzag? Who are you following? I hope you're following Jesus because to follow Jesus is to follow his word. They are equivocal in so many different ways to recognize that Jesus really is the embodiment of the word. He is logos, come into creation, John 1.1. 1, 1. And God spoke this into creation, and it was Jesus. And you realize he was just living out his father's words while he was on the earth. And people would look at him and go, wow, you look so familiar, because they had been reading about him for hundreds or thousands of years. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, once said, I speak as a man of the world to men of the world. He's like, I'm from the world, you're from the world. We get that. And I say to you, search the scriptures. The word of God is our light. In it, we come to know God, and in it, we come to know his will for us. We come to know him, and we know his will for us as we read it. Through it, we have strength to stand against our enemies and endure persecution in this life. This is the passage we read today. This is our eternal heritage. He was reading verse 111. Took it right out of there. The book is open. It is before us. Here it is. We must not miss out on what it contains. Someone has said, a lamp for the feet that in byways have wandered, a guide for the youth that would otherwise fall, a hope for the sinner whose life has been squandered, a staff for the aged, the best book for all. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for a book and a chapter that is about your book. But it's also about your son, and it's also about the plan that you have for us that we get to look forward to. Thank you for the guiding light of your word, the support of your word, the the rock-solid foundation that it provides in our lives when storms come, whether they are storms of financial things or health things or relational things that that we can trust you, that we can watch the reflector signs, even though we know the whole time we're just being carried by you through that period of time. God, I pray today that we would spend more time in your word, pursuing your son as we live out our, our life, that others also would see us in the good times and the bad times as we're struggling, as we're not struggling in this world, but that we would have a hope, that that hope would reside in, in your word and the promises that your word gives us. Thank you so much for this time together in your word. Thank you that it would penetrate us, that it would encourage us, that it would motivate us to spend time tomorrow morning, the next morning with you, just getting the food for the day, just that we would be able to see enough light for this day, that the path would be illuminated day by day by day. I just pray, Father, as we leave this place, that we would reflect your son's light, that we would be a light to a world that is dark but needs your light. And so we pray these things in his name. Amen.